The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Yeah, see, that's what I like. That's the sound I like. That was a really timid pour. Yeah, that was. Oh, that I mean, was, it's uh, almost like someone was looking over your shoulder. <laughs> give me, uh, yeah. Give me your glass. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I, I intimidate him. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Uh, Bart intimidates him, I think, actually. Actually, it might be Paul. So, hey, everybody. I'm yeah, John Myers. All my keepers welcome are here. To, welcome to the winemakers. <laughs> I'm here with my friends, Shane Paturi, Bart Hansen, Paul White. Paul White, podcast debut. Absolutely. How cool is that? Good to be here. Thank you. That was really exciting, Paul. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, High energy intro. I'm glad you got that energy going. And our guest today is Phil Katuri. So uh, welcome to the epicenter of winemaking in California right now. Um, I'm really happy you came on. Well, you know, I've been trying to get here for the last couple of years, but I get lost. <laughs> lost on the way? All the time. Well, I'm always 10 minutes late. It's really important. Well, I think, is that a Katuri thing? It's genetic. Okay. Yeah, it's not what it is that you always give enough time to where you were before that you don't care if you're running late. You, you know, know what? That's like good. That. Yeah. That's yeah, good. It's, you you know? Know? it's the attention to detail. You don't want to leave too quickly. You might miss something. You have to finish it off, finish off the conversation. Well, we have had you. Um, I was lucky enough to interview the two of you together, and I think what was the first time you were interviewed on radio together, anyway, a few years ago over at the KSVY. And so we have you guys today, and we are in another atmospheric river. We're getting (laughs) we're getting the downpour, and I was going to start off and something we always used to ask right off the bat of Sam: How's everything looking in the fields right now? Wet, (laughs) oversaturated. Well, you know, uh, saturated—that's for sure. Uh, What is oversaturated? Uh, It's normal to have rains like this this time of the year. Uh, <clears throat> traditionally, Valentine's Day, the president's holiday, that California, you'd have, it'd be floods. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, the dead would play at the Oakland Coliseum, and you couldn't get down there because Sonoma was an island and you couldn't get out of it. And so we're back to maybe normalcy, but the, the, the thing is, is the extreme weather conditions that we're having. So I don't know if we'll ever be back to being normal. Welcome well, to the new normal. And and things, I think, flood a little quicker now because there's a lot more asphalt and less oh. places for the water to sit. And the bay is, and the sea level is higher, the too. Sea level right? is the sea level is higher. And there's more silt and um, all these things. Yeah, but, you know, you, you look at the past week. Um, on Tuesday, there was a couple of inches of snow on top of the ridge. Yeah. And not only on Tuesday, but it happened again on, on Sunday morning. And I don't, you know, it, 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 snow every couple of years, you'll have, there'll be a dusting of snow in the mountains, but never twice in one, twice in a week. So, you let know. Let alone twice in a whole winter. Uh, right? uh, yeah, let alone twice. In a, yeah, it is wintertime still. Yeah, it is. Um, but it, it's, uh, you know, as, as a farmer, we have carte blanche to every day complain about the weather. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? We do. <laughs> Why are farmers so much cooler here than they were in Iowa when I was growing up. 
Because we grow intoxicants. <laughs> <laughs> you don't grow corn and, and soybeans, man. <laughs> well, well yeah, you know, I guess corn you could say is an intoxicant, corn liquor, but you know, um, sugar. Yeah. We live in California, not Iowa. Isn't that nice? So maybe you have a little different attitude, but no, it, it's uh, you know, I, I laugh about it, but at this point in my career, you know, I, I've spent my life growing intoxicants, and it's uh, it's uh, you know. It's been a real uh, honor and fun to be able to do that. Well, I'm happy you have been because I've certainly had enough of them. I mean, I <laughs> love the wines that come out of 16600. Well, They're just absolutely stellar. Yeah. And they all well, start you. with the best fruit, which is why you do it. You, you know, it, it, uh, I like drinking really good wines and to drink really good wines, to make really good wines, it comes from the fruit. And it takes more energy. I take, well, you know what? It takes just about the same amount of energy to grow bad grapes as it does good grapes. It's just a different attitude in how you grow them. Um, you do the same, the same work, but with a little more attention to detail. And, you know, here we are. You know, you, you make it sound so easy. Come on, <laughs> Phil. There's a lot more than goes to it than, I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. It is more attention to detail. But. Um, you, it's, it's a lot more attention to detail. I mean, and it has to be from, you have to want to do it. Well, you have to, you, you know, uh, th th there's, there's a saying less is more. And, and the, the big thing, um, on growing really high quality wine grapes is to always have that mantra. Less is more that, uh, that doesn't mean that you haphazardly drop fruit, but you reduce the crop level. Plants, you know, a, a plants, plants are here to reproduce, to create seed. And the fruit that I'm ha harvesting all has seed in it. And so they're gonna wanna put as much seed out there as possible for, for, for reproduction. And we just try to control how much that we allow them to put out there. Um, and, that, and that creates better flavors and less is more. So, so talk about the ways that you control that because and you know and, and to john's question you know what how the vineyards are looking right now what's going on out there um that starts with what you're doing now right that starts with pruning but goes through the year yeah it's, it's it starts you know pruning is the first step for the 2019 vintage and we're doing that right now uh and what we what what we're doing is setting the stage, setting the attitude, setting the the amount of fruit that we're trying to see with the, the plant to produce. Uh, you know, as cliche as it sounds, it's just keeping everything in balance, and the amount of buds that we leave will uh, is predicated on how the plant grew in, in the prior year, and what the plant could grow in the upcoming year. And it, it's, you know, so you're always making a decision, looking at the plant to keep it, keep it in balance so, so that you don't have shoots that are the size of my thumb or, or the size, but you have a shoot that's the size of my little finger and you want all of them to be the same size. You want, you want to create uniformity. You know, um, it, it, it's uh, as, you know, less is more, keeping everything in balance. The key is, you know, to create uniformity out of chaos all these different cliches I could say, but it's all of them are are, are are true. You have if you have a thousand vines per acre, which is 
not that super high density at this point, but I'm just using that because I could divide it by 10 real easy, uh, <laughs> rather, rather than 1,375. But uh, the, the, you, you, you look at the, at the plants, and, and so every, every vine has, for cane pruning a ball, a, a, a Cabernet vineyard, there'll be two eight-bud spurs, two eight-bud canes, excuse me, no, no spurs. So there's a possibility of 16 buds out there. And of that 16 buds, maybe 10 to 12 of them will be the right size that you want. And you want them all the size of your finger. Um, and you don't want overly vigorous. And you don't want under, 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 under uh, vigorous, undergrowing plants, underperforming plants. So th th that's but you set out with a pattern. You look at a vine, oh, maybe that vine can handle 16. So we'll leave 14. We'll leave 12 on it. We'll leave a spur and a cane, which would be 10. And so that, that decision is made right now. <clears throat> we started pruning in the middle of December, and we'll prune up until almost the first of April. <clears throat> and every time you're looking at these plants, you're making a decision how to keep that balance, how to start that balance and keep it. Um, somewhere along the way, I heard a story that if you start working in the vineyard at uh, Enterprise, you don't start off pruning. It takes some time to build up to pruning. Is that? Can well, you talk you, about, at least talk about that idea? Uh, well, it's pruning is you, you know you wouldn't want a barber to do a knee replacement, you know, <laughs> you know, or else, or else your knee would look like the top of my head, bald. <laughs> but you've you've seen an orthopedic more recently than you've seen a barber, just for the record. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's to to understand that balance is something that comes with observation. And and uh, famous winemaker Andy Erickson is calling you. Do you, do you need to answer that? Uh, no, I told him it'd be free in an hour. So, All right. um, <laughs> uh, but it, it's you know when I talk about balance, you don't understand balance if you know what don't understand if you don't see a season of growing that plant growing. You know, so it takes it takes time. When I learned how to prune. You know, this is a few a few weeks ago um, that, and Joe Miami was the, the man that taught me how to prune, um, and, and this was back in the in the in the seventies, um, and he and he gave us the, the basics, starting with young vines, and I said, well, Joe, what what about if I what what am I going to do next year? He goes, well, don't worry about next year, just make that cut you're doing this year, and think about what it's going to do next year. Then when you see it. Then we'll we'll do the next step, and it's a it's a series of steps. So when you are pruning, are you making cuts for this harvest or the next harvest or the third harvest? How does it how does that actually work? Well, you're you're making cuts for for the next ten harvests, you know, because uh, you know I've worked on hundred year old vines. I'm pruning those with the same approach that I would do pruning two-year-old vines. But two-year-old vines, I'm develop, developing in them, hoping that they can live for another 98 years. And that 100-year-old that vine, I want to keep it in balance. So it's not going to have the youthful enthusiasm of, of that two-year-old vine. But you, you look at it, and you might, you're going to always be prepared to reduce it, always be prepared to add a little bit more. Uh, you know, and I try to explain this to my guys as you're walking through a vineyard that, you know, every, you know, if, if you have a, a thousand kids in a room, 
you're gonna have the top of the class like none of us were <laughs> and, and you're gonna you're, you're gonna have the average and then you're gonna have the the, the ones that are are are, are below average have di a different approach to life and so you you, you there's be no two minds will be the same though everyone of them is alike uh and so you you prune to what the plant tells you to do and if you're dealing with hillside vineyards which is the majority of what what we farm and the wines that we'll be drinking later on came from <laughs> that there's environmental conditions that change you know it might be a rock underneath it it could be closer to the trees and so that you 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 prune that if you come across a section for the most part, there might be the vines might not be as vigorous as they were at the other end, and so you have to shift gears. You can't go in there with a predetermined count. Sure, I tell you, I want I want two eight bud canes, but that's 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 you know that's that's the the norm. But it's not every every plant. So you have to be able to shift gears, and you have to be able to be alert enough to not do it just by by rope, but by like teach by working with the individual plant you ha you have the pattern but that plant is going to tell you where to cut it and we're, we're doing a job right now <coughs> um dealing with with upgrading a, a vineyard that's over in, in the hillside of napa that was pruned more for commercial fruit than wasn't wasn't pruned to its uh, highest possible potential and um and I, and there's you know in my in my opinion they left too many fruiting points on the plant and the vines were out of balance, and and but if you look at the plant, you can see where it's out of balance. You let the plant tell you where to cut it, and and for the most part it does, and that just comes from experience, mm -hmm. and that's why the first a first year pruner I'm not going to have them do that, you know, and and I probably spent more time in this block with my guys because we're. That we're discussing how to how, how 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 to improve wine quality and get these wines back into balance. Mm -hmm. Then I do say in, in a vineyard that my guy's been pruning for the last thirty years. So that wine that's out of balance, coming from the out of balance vines, what's that going to taste like? How is it going to be different than something that's really in balance? That you know when when you that's the beauty of doing vertical tastings, all right. And 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 because a vertical tasting tells you two different, you know, three or four different things are, are revealed. The number one is the vintage, is, is the idiosyncrasy of of, of 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 the temperature for that and the weather of of 2017, say, or 2005, or whatever other years that we have here. You know, that, that's going to cause some of it. But if you see a vineyard all of a sudden start to change in, in wine quality, why does that happen? And a lot of it is is an approach to growing. Um, a winemaker, how he wants to deal with the fruit. Uh, and what I see when a vine is overcropped, has too much fruit, that you don't get uniform flavors. I don't, you know, I talk about uniformity, 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 but I, I want individualistic uniformity. I want each, you know, so it's, I just... <laughs> <laughs> I make up words as I go along, but it's 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 true. I I I I want every vine to have you know uh, if, if it's a head pruned uh, Zinfandel or head pruned Grenache, say ten spurs maximum. But that doesn't mean that it has to have ten spurs. 
You might only need five to, to have the same balance as the other plant next to it that needs 10 to be balanced. You want to look at the plant and you, you want to see, as you look at, at, at all these cables going around the table, they're all the same size. When I look at plant, I want to see the canes going up, have a, all be the same size. Because I think that uniformity in the size and vigor creates a, uni a flavor in, in, the, in the wines that is the difference between an 86-point wine and a 92-point wine. And, and then, you know, that, that's just right off the bat before the winemaking even gets into it. Because if, if the vine is out of balance, the flavors are not going to be in balance. What do you guys talk about when you describe wines? Well, I, I mean, you, you know, what he's saying here also is that if the vine is out of balance or if it's not uniform like the other vines, the individual bunches are all going to be at different points of um, maturity and, you know, how they taste. And uh, so, so that that gives you an 86 point wine as opposed to something that is uniform and you can reach in and grab a grape and it tastes similar to a grape from a different vine as opposed to this one's sour and this one's a raisin. You, you, you don't want to, you, you want that taste, again, you want to create uniformity of flavors. Yeah. You know, you guys, as you're sitting around talking about wines, you talk about balance. Yeah. You talk about uniformity in, in, in flavors. You, you, don't, you, you don't want two extremes happening on the, in, 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 the same, in the same bottle. And, and that's, um, and, you know, you can mitigate those extremes through different types of, of, of winemaking and, and filtrations and stuff like that. But, you know, that, that's, you know, not the wines that but, I want to grow. Yeah, I mean, but, but if you're doing that, then you've already, you're already behind the eight ball. Yeah, and, and you know what, Bart, it's not so much, not, it's not only that every, the, the bunches are all ripe at the same time, the flavors are as uniform as possible. But, and I explained this to guys too, when you leave that cane or you leave that spur, where's the shoot gonna grow and how is the cluster gonna hang on the plant itself? You know, um, I, I, I remember a lecture by a peach producer for Chepigny, uh, Masamoto, and he talked about how he grows peaches and uh, a peach flower clusters come out and there might be five or six or seven peaches in that, in that, in that cluster. And he, he lets them go and he goes out and he separates it all so every cluster, every peach hangs without touching the other peach. And so it hangs with what I call integrity and I want my clusters to hang like that. I don't want them to overlap, I don't want them to touch. I don't want them to lay on, on, on the wood of the, of, of, of the vine. I don't want them to have any blemishes. You know, we're, what I, and I, I repeat this throughout the year, we are growing fresh fruit to be put down on this, this cluster of grapes for making wine should be able to be put down on a table and put on a silver platter and be able to be eaten and enjoyed. It's not just a commodity to, to make another, another product out of. And, that's, and so what, what does he do with the peaches? He thins them out in such a way so those five or six become two or three. And that's what we want to do throughout the, vine, throughout the vine's life in balancing our crops. Hence the term 
Hanging with integrity in dappled sunlight, right? There you we've, go. we've been threatening to make t-shirts out of that forever. Yeah, I know. Um, and I it hasn't like come up yet. Now we can. Now that actually it's been said from... I copyrighted it. I, I trademarked it. All right, well, we'll make sure you get a cut of our huge podcast earnings. <laughs> yeah, now I'm going to have to... You guys are going to want salaries now. Like, <laughs> yeah. You get paid what I get paid then, right? Okay. Big yeah. bucks. Big bucks. A, at least minimum wage, for crying out loud. Well, you, you get paid minimum wage. You don't get charged for you drink do you no so, never so, yeah. so then you're, you're, you're making money <laughs> but that you know oh that, guaranteed that it, it's you know we're sort of all over the map in, 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 in the sense that went from pruning to thinning but that's what that's you know while, while we are pruning which to, to me this time of the year is is the calmest um, most thoughtful time in in in, in the vineyard because you're making these decisions that are going to affect this plant for the for the for that season and the seasons to come, but what the idea is how that how, what's that fruit going to hang hang with, and the other thing that we have discussions about is when we're going to prune a block, and um, I might prune a block that we harvested last the year before first, just again to bring to, to bring uniformity back into the, hmm. to the to the harvest. Well, I think another well, I think thing that I didn't even know that part. Yeah. I, I think another thing that's important to understand here is when you say what you said about how the fruit hangs and doesn't hang on something that the ability to have that happen starts with the pruning. Otherwise, you have to look at two two spurs and say, oh, no, if I if if I put them too close to each other, they're going to be on top of each yeah, other. Yeah. So th for you out there in, you know, podcast land, just think about that for a while that that. So right now they're making a decision that will affect what happens in, you know, the spring. We're, we're dealing with the, the, the plant's architecture and and we're, we're seeing what it did last year in, in, a, in a perfect world that I'd have the same guy or, 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 or gal or same person prune the same vine for as many years as possible. <laughs> and I have, I, I'm, I'm really fortunate with in, in my, in my crews that I have the same people pruning the same blocks and, and you know, ran, the, the, the simple art of randomness the, the, they're going to come across, they're going to prune that same vine twice over a, a period of 10 years, no matter what, what occurs. Uh, you know, there was a point where the the vineyard that we're drinking. The, the, I don't think do you have the state zen here. No. Yeah, I have state. I have a state zen. I guess we should. So for, we're drinking right now, homage blanc, because um, while our our sixteen six hundred members in the tasting room, a lot of sixteen of uh, the homage blanc gets consumed and purchased. Probably the number one consumer of, of, of our homage blanc is the uh, bottle a day that disappears into a white Ford pickup at about six o'clock every evening. Um, so we had to start with the homage blanc for my dad, um, and then I've been waiting all day for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it is four thirty, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's four twenty somewhere. Um, <laughs> it always is. Uh, so I opened um, a bunch of things that you've grown, uh, obviously. Uh, 2012 Estate Zinfandel, uh, 2012 Oakville Ranch Field Blend, mm -hmm. um, 2005 Moon Mountain Vineyard Cabernet Franc, uh, and a 2014 Simon's Vineyard Cabernet from wow. 16600. Wow. So we got a lot of stuff open. Well, you know, one, two, a bottle and a half per person sitting at the table. So. Well, good. We have a long time. <laughs> uh, you know, the, 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 
the estate. You want to start with one of these? Uh, I think we should start with the 2005. Yeah. But I'll talk about the 2012. Hence one. drinking the best one first? <laughs> well, no, the oldest one first. Okay. You know. Uh, well, I got spanked this morning because I was drinking the cheap one first. And everybody started, no. No, the least expensive. There you go. <laughs> we don't drink any cheap wine, John. <laughs> no. I have. <laughs> Some pretty bad wine from time to time. Um, but in, in, uh, one of the things up until about two years ago that I was the only person that ever pruned the vineyard in 2000 at, at, that from the estate of Zinfandel. You know, I have 1,700 vines out there. I pruned every one of them. For, yeah. for since 19... 19- 90, right? Is 89 was, was it was planted in 89, so 1990s, yeah, 91. These are old friends of yours. Yeah, you, well, you, you know, I, I, I don't have any daughters, but I have a, 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 a bunch of girls out in the vineyard, you know. Uh, and I, I, look at a, I look at a plant like that. They're, they're uh, you know, to me, uh, grapevines are, are, are my, my dancing um, companions, you know. Um, and you get to know them. And, and the, the, but the ability to prune the same vineyard, <laughs> it's a luxury, you know, because, and, and I, I look at it, when the vines are started, they, I make a, the, the cut that I make, the vine is growing up, getting taller every, by two inches every, every year from that, from that cut, and uh, especially in head pruned vines, and that's where you start farming, forming the chalice, but that's a whole other story. But uh, uh, 2005, uh, from a vineyard that I still take care of, the Moon Mountain Vineyards. When was the first time that you set foot in this vineyard? Uh, 1971 or 72. Was it like known as Glen Allen Vineyard then? It was Glen Allen Vineyards at that point, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and that, at that point, the Cabernet was planted 8 by 12. There was 400. You drive a Cadillac through that row? Yeah, pretty pretty much. But we had we had big tractors at that time. 400, 400 vines of the acre. And now we're averaging about 1,600 to 1,800 vines of the acre on the Cabernet. I don't go into 2,000 or 2,500 vines because I, I, I do... I do like a little more... A little, um, not quite that, that high of density. But uh, uh, I'm just curious to drink the 2005. Um, 2005 was a transition at this vineyard from when Jeff Baker was the winemaker f- from 1981 on, I think, to till 2004. He might have even been there at 2005. Uh, um, Does it say on the back of the bottle? It says Randall Watkins made it. But 2005 was was uh, an El Nino year, 2005 and 2006. You, you know, big vines, big, uh, nice crops, lush canopies. Uh, 2005 produced some incredible wines out of California. You know, we had Ian Cobble on, who was one of the psalms in the movie psalm, one of the master psalms anyway. Uh, what he said, 275 master psalms in the United States, and he's luckily one of them. But he was talking about how performance and and the fruit can be so different just literally across the path or across the street, 10 feet away, one block is just beautiful and one block is fairly ordinary. How's that happen? Well, <laughs> you look around the table. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about the ordinary and, 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 and the. Uh, How come you looked at me first, man? <laughs> How, you know, that, that's, that's the beauty of nature, that's the beauty of plants. You know, uh, but every wine. You know, we try to create uniformity, but it's 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 that 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 chaotic place where they're grown that that makes the wines interesting. Um, 
You know, I, I had a conversation today. <clears throat> we were talking about a, a winemaker in, in Napa that puts out two to three hundred dollar bottles of Cabernet, and and uh, with, and really how he does that is he he might buy five to seven tons off of a block, and from that five or seven tons, there's four to five barrels. You know, if it's, if it's if it's five tons, there's three barrels per ton. That's fifteen barrels. There might be four barrels or five barrels, maybe a third of them that will go into that blend. How does that happen? Variation of flavors, you know, and um, that's that's where the art of winemaking comes in. But the, the my goal is to make sure that all all seven all fifteen of those barrels have the possible possibility of being one of the five. And how does it happen? You know, you go you go pick corn, you go pick tomatoes out of your garden, and all of a sudden, off the same plant, you get a tomato boy that just knocks your socks off. And then you keep looking, you keep going that same plant, and maybe you get the same flavor again, hitting the the peakness of ripeness. You know, still, you know, if you just look at the numbers of plants, the number of berries that are on a, 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 an individual vine, there, 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 there's it's it's the mind blowing the, the numbers, and if you want a third of them to be perfect, and then it's up to you to figure out which one, what perfection is. What right third that is. Right, <laughs> yeah. and, and and understand. It's always the middle third. <laughs> so that, I, I hope that answers your question. But you but know. but I mean, also the other thing that happens here is that so you know Phil delivers the grapes that are of full potential, and then the winemaker says, "Well, I'm going to take a portion of it and I'm going to put it in this, and I'm going to take a portion of it, I'm going to use this treatment on it." And so he's now taken one wine and he's made it into four wines and then he ages those wines and then maybe he only decides that only two of them are worthwhile for this one blend. And so that's how that, that sometimes it's what happens in the winery makes it from extraordinary to ordinary. And, and then you think about it, you go to a, a restaurant and, and you, maybe it's a restaurant that you frequent on, on, a, on a regular basis and you 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 have you know uh, the, a pasta that he puts out that you, is one of your favorites. And then every once in a while, yeah. it just knocks your socks off. Right. You know, that's and sometimes how, you just go, eh, maybe I'll get something else next time. Yeah, yeah but then you always come back to because it's still your favorite. <laughs> you know, but it, it's it's there is there's sweet spots in every vineyard. There's sweet spots in every cellar, and um, and it's how you want want to approach it and. And you know the there's there's I, I think in, especially in the hillside vineyard where you have different different elevations where the grapes are grown in, uh, you're going to have different ripening curves, and so it's this idea of trying to get them as as as, as similar as possible, but as unique as possible. You know? uh, and so I think will you, will you talk about the Moon Mountain Vineyard a little bit? Um, you know, since you have sort of been there off and on since the early 70s and you know a little bit of the the site a touch of the history um and maybe what's what's happening there these days well uh actually i want to talk about this this wine's really good yeah, yeah. You, you, you know it, it, it's you're, you're talking about a wine that's 15 14 years old this year yeah. you yeah. know still very much alive it's st still yeah it's still still really still really red red fruit yeah, should have saved know. it for a special occasion <laughs> well, it's a special occasion because we're all here. Okay, <laughs> and uh, um, you know, there, there's there's uh, a good good texture with it. Yeah, and Cabernet Franc is, is um, you know, uh, 
I always get my left bank and my right bank. It's a right bank wine, right? Ah, yes. Yes. Interior. 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 And, you know, it always has, to me, a little brighter flavors than Cabernet. Cabernet is a little bit darker. Cab Franc is is a lot more in growing Cabernet Franc. It's a little more vigorous than Cabernet, but it's an upright grower. Uh, it's not quite as uh, the the leaf color is not quite as dark as Cabernet. So it's a little bit more on, on, on the yellow side. Yellow side, and I always my descriptor of it. And I don't know what what, what a psalm would say because we didn't have psalms when I was growing up. <laughs> <laughs> who who uh, served you the wine in the restaurant? So I guess there wasn't really <laughs> a lot of wine there, yeah. right? Yeah, well, we didn't have corkscrews then either. <laughs> um, but but it, it, you know. Uh, 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 a uh, uh, nice ripe blueberry, you know that that dark that dark flavor. So it, it's a uh, 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 little 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 brighter than 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 Cabernet, and I bet you this probably has five to seven percent cab in it. I don't know what does it say. Um, so this vineyard is on the uh, Mayacamas Range, so the east side of the valley, and it sits at about. 1800 feet? No, the, the, the very top of the vineyard is, is 1700 feet. That's what okay. we call the feather blocks, which is probably where this Cap, Cap Franc came from. Okay. Uh, it's, it's red volcanic soils. It's right behind a famous vineyard called Monte Rosa that has been in, 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 under cultivation since the 1850s. Uh, it was uh, Martini made it famous. Uh, they bought it. Uh, right after right after prohibition, I believe it was, in, in the, in, in, and started putting out wines in the 30s from from Monterosa. Um volcanic soils, um, high pH grapes, because uh, those red those red soils. I don't care if they're in the Mayacamas range or in the Vaca range. Uh, the, it's, the hillside fruit has has a, 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 a lot of potassium in it, uh, and, and I always. In these in these wines, if you taste them from these soils, you always, you always get um, to me. There's there's a, a chocolate milk flavor to it, mm-hmm. you know, where that that that, that, that instead of uh, that it gives it that little dark uh, back that comes out the back of your palate. But, but it's it's softer because of the red dirt. It's softer because. Um, is that is that what you mean by the high pH potassium? Yeah, well, as as, as you know, we got a winemaker there with high, high pH. Well, high, high, higher, to be flabby. Yeah, yeah, can, yeah, can, high, can to, be flabby. Can be flabby, but you know, I think when the but but they can be flabby when they've been you know not farmed properly or um, maybe left out there too long. And something that has is balanced. It's going to have. It might be at a higher pH, but it also might be at a higher acid than. You might find in another oh, so location. It, has TA, it still has. The it still TA has still some high. TA. Oh, it still has. Yeah, TA. yeah, okay. yeah. yeah right. So that that, for lack of a better word, masks what might be a high pH wine, okay. yeah. which is you know flabby or soapy, sometimes yeah. described as. And, and you know when um, when I talk about the high high pHs, you'll see it when you, when when it's, when the acids will be high, but the pH will be high with it, and and that also happens in the Oakville Ranch. Um, and and the to, and to me it gives it tends to give it a little more body, 
You know, you know when, and then if the acid ever drops out, that's when you know winemakers start slitting their wrists and you know, like what happened? It was perfect then. Was perfect. You know. <laughs> I hate it when what, the acid what, drops. Yeah. What, don't drop any acid. <laughs> <laughs> right, don't, no, it's after the show. Not right now. Not right now. We're after the show. But Bart, what is it that causes that? Uh, you know, um, that's something that a grape grower should probably answer. <laughs> um, what, dropping acid? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, why, why, you know, certain years and certain varieties, um, you know, all for all the sampling you do, the acid and pH are in balance and then you know, two days before you pick, or you pick because all of a sudden the acid has fallen out of it. And that has to do with the, the, the strength of the plant as it's ripening. And what, what you know, um, when you, th- if you think of 2018, which I think was one of the, just a fabulous vineyard, a fabulous vineyard, a fabulous vintage, uh, because we didn't have heat spikes. We had the iron shifts. We went from 45 degrees in, 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 at night to, to 90 degrees in the daytime instead of just being 90 degrees or some 60, 70 to not 90. And, uh, and, that's how, and there was a big enough crop level that it, could, it was able to hang on the vine long enough. Um, so, you're, you're, you know, it, it's, um, I think, I don't think I know the hardest decision that we make every year is when to pick. And, and and you want to you want to capture acid you want to capture fresh acidity to do it, right. but to me, I, I want ripe fruit. Right. You know, uh, we we are in California. The 2005 I don't know if it has a harvest date on there. Uh, was a was a bit was a big year. It was it was a cool year? It had a slow ripening curve. We still had we still had no matter what happens in 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 California, Northern California, September October, you you're gonna get. Days of 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 no humidity, right? And to me, that's what sets fruit flavors. I I, I, I look for, I look forward to those. A little bit of stress on the vine. Though the, the the vine has been carrying that fruit for a long time, you know, and and, uh, and, and it, it's but you want it you want it to be to be ripe, to be ready to come off. You want it, you know, it's a difference. You know, when you pick pick that peach off of, of a tree, you, you don't want that peach to ripen on their table, right? You want that peach to ripen on the tree when you. Well, you, you want the peach to come off when you just touch tug it, 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 right? It falls yeah. in his hand, and and you to me, I want to see the majority of the seeds to be brown, right? Uh, and you know, it's I don't know how many winemakers have, have heard say this, and uh, you know, one Julian Boucher uh, uh, from from uh, the main Baroche talks about it all the time. He said, when I go out to pick, if I say, well, I'm, I want to pick this tomorrow. I force myself to wait two more weeks, <laughs> and and if you, and if you can get away with those, if, if you can get away with it for two more weeks, right? God, you're going to have better fruit, right? You know, because there's there's, you know, you're still dealing with the big clusters of the fruit inside of it that ripens, but why 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 does you know, why, why does it drop out so quickly? Because you're dealing with Mother Nature, and it always throws you a curve. And and 2018 was a year that if you said I want to wait two weeks, you were able to wait two weeks or two months or two, or two months, months yeah. right? Yeah. But there are those years where you say I want to wait two more weeks, and then you get those, you know, eastern winds and no humidity. And well, and that's and, and that's what you have to worry about, you right. know. Uh, it, it, it's that's it, what stresses out. 
the, grape growers that stresses out grape growers that stresses out the uh, the, the, the plants right. you know the uh, system and when we get we get the offshore winds and the California is notorious for for them you know we've, we've seen what, what happens the last couple of years with, the, with those winds and and and, and the, the fires um, you're always uh, gambling you know it to um, to 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 wait a little bit longer you're taking a gamble you know, and and, and my feeling is uh, uh, that that is worth it's worth that wait to get ripe fruit. So, how long did you wait in 2018? Because I know there was a lot of talk. So, in 2018, we didn't finish harvesting until the first week of November, and 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 there, there was no reason we weren't up against a heat spike, a rain event, a wind event. We weren't up against anything. The fruit just was able to get ripe. And and, and and in fact, we did, we had 2018. We had two inches of rain on October 2nd, mm-hmm. and then we didn't have rain until uh, after Thanksgiving. It was a horrible mushroom year until just recently, you know, because of, because of how dry it was. Lots lots of times, you know, two, 2000. It was 2009 that there was predicted right around uh, Columbus Day, so the, the 9th, 12th of, of, of it was it was actually the, the 9th of October. Uh, Robert Kamen's uh, birthday. Yeah, it is Robert Kamen's yeah. birthday. Why it rained? Uh, uh, that was predicted that we were going to get hit by a typhoon that was coming coming across the the, the the Pacific, and sure enough, we got we got nine inches of rain in a twenty four hour period, and we that weekend we we harvested a lot of fruit, <laughs> you know, and there's some really nice wines from the, and the, you know the wines the fruit that wasn't ripe that went through the rains did it did it did it it, it, it changed the vintage. Did it? Uh, did, did they go bad? No, but if you, if you taste the pre uh, uh, fruit that was harvested first two the first week of October, the ones harvested after it, there's there's a definitely a different flavor right. profile. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, but you you can't harvest everything the same day. Right. Well, that has to be a huge logistical problem. That's why we drink. <laughs> I can understand <laughs> that. So, but yeah, I mean, you have all these to do, and you're waiting, and all of a sudden. They're not all due at once. Everything, every different grape has a different ripening. Well, that day. depends how in control of your winemakers you are. Right. Well, you know what? I, I, I um, that uh, I've, I've been around long enough, and 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 that's why we prune blocks at various times to try to 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 change the, the ripening curve by a week to ten days, uh, and the the I don't want every winemaker to to harvest the fruit. This, on the same day, I want them to make their own decisions, uh, and you know one one of the one of the, my favorite times of the year is the harvest is walking through a vineyard with with with, with winemakers and have them describe the flavors that they want that that, that they they want and they're and they're tasting. Uh, you know, a winemaker is a chef, and as the chef goes out into a, a, a garden to design that evening's dinner, a, a winemaker once a year goes through a vineyard to describe what he wants in the bottle. What she wants in the bottle ten years down the road, and that and that's that, that's the beauty of that's the, that, that's the magic of wines, you know. When you know, I've worked with I still work with Randall Watkins. He makes wines at Laurel Glen. Laurel Glen is is, is, is a historical vineyard in 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 Sonoma on Sonoma Mountain. The f- the first vineyard you worked in, right? One of the first, yeah, it was the first vineyard I worked in when I was thirteen years old, twelve, thirteen. A couple years weeks old. ago, yeah, uh, uh, you could do the math, uh, <laughs> and. Randall has Sonoma High. I can't do that. Rand, Randall harvests earlier than another winemaker, uh, 
and um, he, he and he makes a lovely wine on it. It might take a little bit longer for it to come around. Right. Uh, it, it's it's, uh, um, but that's the that's the that's the beauty of wine. I, you know what I really like to do, and, and you know Bart will be, will be part of it. Like say with the Rossi Ranch, where I have seven or eight different winemakers at, at Oakville. I, I have twelve different winemakers making fruit off the same vineyard. Some of them the same blocks. Yeah. And you sit down and you taste them alongside of each other. You taste the vineyard, but you taste you taste the winemaker's uh, personality coming through the wine that they're doing. Right. You know, and, and there, there's uh, the, the the common thread is the fruit. And the common thread is is that that they were harvested within a week to two weeks of of, of each other. You know, right. and and that that's why wine is such an interesting product. Yeah, yeah. The the possibilities are endless, but there's usually always a link to put them all together from the same vineyard. Well, yeah. Should we should we taste a little Oco Ranch? Yeah, open. This is uh, so 2012 Oakville Ranch Field Blend, uh, 50% Zinfandel, 32% Primitivo, which means 82% Zinfandel. <laughs> and no, there's it, de- there's definitely a difference okay. between Primitivo and, and Zinfandel. 18% Petit Syrah. <laughs> so Sam took me over to Oakville Ranch last year. Um, which was a treat to get to see that piece of property. They you grow really good rocks over there, yeah. um, and when we're uh, walking along, and he's like, "And this is Zinfandel here," and, um, and I'm like, hey, "We're in. It's one thing that we're in the world of Cabernet, high end Cabernet, and there's Grenache, <laughs> but then you're you're growing this there over there also, and I love it. You know, you know how I feel about Zin, but someone has to well, give you a hard time about it. Yeah, it's good." <laughs> I, I've never given you a hard time about anything, so that's why we have Bart here. <laughs> you, have, you, have you smelled this? Oh, it's corked. It's corked. Ah. And see, the, the, the wonderful... That's what ra- we need ra- the, Second one in two, in two weeks. We've well, had. you know, it, it, it happens. It smells like a bag of uh, baby carrots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's up with the baby carrots that they bleach and uh, yeah, so refine? Yeah, there was an article in the paper. There was, this, was, this was Esther Mobley a couple weeks ago. Um... And she was doing an article we could debate the merits of on a different, separate time about a winemaker in Napa who is adding, uh, intentionally inoculating one lot of her wine with Britannomyces. And, Ooh, that's and, and not supposed to be good. Not supposed to be good. But the conversation was about taste preference and how some of that is, you know, obvious. And then some of it is also uh, your conditioning, your environmentally. And, and she was in, uh, Esther had interviewed. A professor from Davis who teaches in the wine program there, and, and one of the sort of rudimentary classes, basic level viticulture and enology at Davis, um, they do sensory evaluation, sensory, and, and learn to taste and smell for flaws in wine. And this professor was saying that over the course of the last thirty years that she's been teaching it, more and more students are missing TCA, cork taint. Uh, you know, two, three, four TCA, tetra, tetra, didn't go to that class. Um, and the the hypothesis is, um, this is what I've coined as the baby carrot generation. And there's these carrots that everybody knows, and I'm sure that there's people at home listening who have bags of them in their fridge for their kids. And those quote-unquote baby carrots are not actually baby carrots. They're 
probably were like reject regular carrots that they mill down and bleach and clean and put them in those little plastic bags. And the, between the plastic and the bleach, it's like perfect environment for TCA aromas to form. And so there's now thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of kids who've grown up in America eating these TCA tainted court, uh, uh, carrots um, and as associating those flavors with snacks that their mom packed and like, you know, soccer practice and after school. And, 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 and in fact, somebody who works, Jasmine, who works in the tasting room struggles with corked wine and the hypothesis I asked her did you eat a lot of baby carrots growing up and she said yeah that was like my thing was baby carrots I was the sugar I you know that was the sweetness I was allowed to have growing up and having had that conversation this is the first corked wine that I've opened since reading that article and I I see it if, I see that sort of stinky carrot kind of thing that's going going on. If there. you ever walk through um, the flea market or like the if you're in Mexico through the market through the leather market, you it's incredible the how much corkiness there is like yeah. in those jackets and stuff. And again, it's the it's they treat it with chlorine. With chlorine. And, yeah. Well, the know. thing that where I find I'll, I'll have a reusable water bottle because I'm a good millennial um you know, have your water bottle and if you fill your water bottle up from just like regular tap water that after a day or two of that water sitting in your bottle the the rubber rim around your lid will have a t for me i got a tca sort of smell from that and that's you know the chlorine in the water yeah. for sure so that's definitely i mean this is classic classic Oof. but can you kind of see there's like a little bit of that like yeah. kind of carrot sweetness yeah. to it? Yeah. 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 Right, well, well, you know, because there's... So much for the Oakville Ranch. I've been sitting on... That's a 2000... I've been in... I actually inherited that from your cellar a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's go to the, the estate. Too. Okay. Um, so, Phil, uh, a question about organic farming. Um, <coughs> was there ever a day that you didn't farm organically? Sure. I mean, I sprayed Paraquat, you know, yeah. uh, and, and it, it, uh, you know, I got my first copy of Organic Farming, Organic Gardening magazine when I was like fourteen or fifteen years old. It was it was a, a neighbor uh, that, that that gave it that gave it to me, um, but I was also working in vineyards, and you got to realize that's, uh, you know, but um, better at living through chemistry in the sixties, you know, right. and, and and in farming. Trying to figure out ways to cut back on labor uh, and, and weed control was 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 one of those. And so Paraquat was a weed control agent. Yeah, Paraquat essentially was agent Vietnam. Orange. It was agent was a, yeah, yeah, agent yeah, orange. Agent yeah. orange. Yeah. And, and there was a time when 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 uh, Richard Nixon was president that they went down and they aerial sprayed the marijuana fields in Mexico and they were, they were harvested right away. There was Paraquat pot. Uh, and, Thanks, Tricky Dick. Yeah, and. <laughs> and uh, I feel like smoking paraquats probably worse than drinking Roundup wine, but maybe. Yeah, yeah well, para- I'm going to go with you on this, Ham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Para- paraquat was an you know like you'd spray it by the next day, everything was just dead, you know, and and and, uh, um, and you know, but at, at the same at the same time, there wasn't quite as much commercial fertilizers as there are as there are now and different fungicides, but. Um, I really didn't start farming organically. I was challenged in 1979 by the man that moved this this old farmhouse to this spot, Marin Freiburg, to 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 grow his vineyard organically. 
Now yeah. I know that name. Uh, I don't. Why would I know? I mean, well, Freiburg was he's he bought property up in Sober Vista. A lot of the okay. vineyards up in Sober Vista. Okay. Uh, he had a lot of so this whole complex is owned by the Freiburg okay. still. He owns the building where the. Chamber of Commerce is right. down here on the corner. So is that Dos Limones? Dos Limones, yeah. So that was the essentially the stake in the ground was yeah. his vineyard. It was his vineyard, yeah. yeah. And uh, and it made it a lot better for me because then I didn't have to try to figure out how to do the calculations and the parts per million. <laughs> I, mean, I was an English major. I wasn't a science, a science major. But you know, he said, you know, you're, you're growing an organic garden, you know, and, and, and growing your vegetables for your, your, your family organically. Do my vineyard that way, and and um, and, 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 and the, that vineyard happened to be adjacent to where um, Bob Grenard was growing vegetables, you know, and uh, and so we we approached it uh, in, in the same fashion this year, and a lot of different ideas, uh, and 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 taking that step and having faith in in, in, in the, that we could do it properly, and if you think about it, most most of the the Commercial fertilizers and, and, and pesticides and fungicides that we, that, that we, and herbicides came out of the Second World War. Right. You right. Know? So that the grapes were grown organically for hundreds of years. Right. You know, thousands of years. Right. So, uh, and, and was and, it petroleum based fertilizers, right? Yeah, we're all product of after World War or, II. Ortho, man. Ortho was owned by Chevron. Right. You know, and they, yeah. they didn't have anywhere, they needed to keep expanding their yeah. business and yeah. that moved us into it. Yeah, you know, um, but it's a big business. I mean, it's, the, it's huge. Fertilizers and, and well, you, you know, the, control everything else is huge. The, the, dollars. There, there was an article I just read that Monsanto and Bayer, Bayer was bought Monsanto. Bayer bought Monsanto, and now what they're trying. Monsanto is 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 is, is, is literally the scourge of the world uh, with the Terminator seeds, and they're trying to control the cannabis business at this point. You know. I, I a friend from high school that is a lobbyist for Monsanto, and um, yeah, he used to try to talk about yeah, Roundup ready, this and you know, um, it's it's unbelievable what they want to do, and he never had an argument when I'd say, but you don't even know what the long term effects are. And he'd say, well, it's only been a few years. And I'm like, yeah, Hopkins it, that's lymphoma. exactly yeah. it, right? Is in the Hopkins lymphoma. The, the, the well, yeah, there's this, uh, uh, this I'm about to steal Paul's thunder for a thing that he says every every day in the tasting room where they talked about, uh, so like a Janet, uh, go, Paul, go, Paul. Testing. Testing. <laughs> All right. God damn it. Uh, yeah, so my TED Talk is real quick. Um, the uh, There was a lawsuit that happened a couple of months ago. There was a, a person that worked for the San Francisco School District, and he was a groundskeeper, and he sprayed this for decades. And, you know, when you look at the commercials that are on every day, and it's so benign the way that they present this product. You spray it, the dandelion goes away, and then the lawn turns green. And it's like, what? Your kids play on it, too. Yeah, and, but the only reason for this product is because it's cheap. It doesn't help anything. It kills. It's it, designed to kill. It's a, it, it, Yeah, it kills soils. And it's a real head-scratcher because I drive around this valley, and I see, particularly on days like today when it's just pouring rain, and... Underneath these vineyard 
rose is just puddles of this uh, it, it, of this mud, and it, it it not only is it getting into the very DNA of our food products, it's the runoff from it because this is the time of year that they apply this product just before it's a pre-emergent. They want to get it at, at, before things are growing, and it's now going into the gullies that are going into the streams that are going into the bay that go into the oceans and it is just an ecological disaster um and uh the but the the one of the best things that came out of that lawsuit the guy had to reduce the award that he received which was close to 300 million was the fact that Monsanto had been for a very, very long time, putting out bad science. They were coming up with things that were just outward lies. And now through the body of, uh, of work in that trial, the discovery process, they're able to use this against them. And it's the new tobacco litigation. There's, there's gonna be many more lawsuits. The consumer awareness is, is really great. I was heartened to hear about um, the conversations that were happening earlier about uh, the, the prior podcast with Ian. Is He's really interested in this Monarch project and- um, The Monarch challenge. The, this, is, this is Carlo Mondavi challenging Napa and Sonoma to become the world's first herbicide-free uh, wine growing region. Right. And, and didn't, didn't Costco just ban it? Yeah, Costco yeah, they took it off their shelves. Took it off their shelves. Yeah. And, and, the, and, and, and the city of Sonoma did a small thing in that I think believe they're not using it on any public mm-hmm. lands anymore. Yeah. So it's a start, right? Yeah. yeah. And it, 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 it's you know, it's it's funny. Um, it, it took us forty five minutes into this into this conversation to really talk about organics. You know, and, and uh, I've been an organic farmer. Since that 90, 40 years, 40 years, uh, is that how long it's been? Uh, in uh, a couple weeks, uh, uh, it, it, it's I don't even some, sometimes I don't even think it doesn't come into my daily. I, I don't take it, I take it for uh, right, it's part of my life, right? Well, you, you know, as I'm, an, I'm a, an organic farmer, uh, I, I eat organic foods, I want to drink wines that are grown from organic grapes, I want to, I, 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 uh, I want. To have the possibility, the best flavors possible of the food that I want to eat, you know? and and it, it's because um, you know you talk about what, why why does one block taste different than the other? And it could be adjacent. It's a matter of farming, and and one thing I found about if you have more carbonaceous material in your vineyard, your tannins are softer. Okay. Uh, you know, I have I've worked with Richard Arrowwood. Uh, over 25 years right now, and and you know Richard is the antithesis. You know of, of uh, our our politics are as, as, as well, pretty far apart, and we argue about it. <laughs> but as as a as a winemaker, he wants flavors, and when he started getting buying fruit for me, and what he what the tannins were like, and the tannins being supple, and not anglical, and, and that's what that's those are the the, the little, they're little subtle things, and you want soft robust tannins that comes from healthy soils the microbes in the soils the the microbiology in the soils helps the fruit have better flavors and the fermentation process is a lot different 
when you grab some dirt and you smell it, it should smell like something. Yeah, it should smell like, especially right this time of the year, it should smell like so things are composting out there, you know. And, and compost is sweet, you know. But. So we've kind of talked about two aspects of, of why the farming that you do produces better grapes. And the, and the organic is, is it, and, and it's the attention to detail. Um, is it possible to have one without the other? Are there people that you know of who are farming conventionally, but with the the level of attention to detail that Enterprise Vineyards can do that are still, at the end result, is wines worth drinking? And then the flip side, and I, I know the answer to this because I know, is that there's people who farm organically without that level of attention to detail that, that don't get to the final product. Well, farming organically is not benign, benign neglect. <laughs> Okay, and, and that's part of the problem. Uh, you know, um, Jean-Louis Chauve had a conversation with Robert Kamen, and I've, I've, I've walked vineyards with Jean-Louis, and he farms organically in Hermitage in, in, in San Josef. And he said that, 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 you know, it's our responsibility, but he understands how a lot of people can't, can't afford to do it. Uh, and my, my, my response to that, we can't afford not to do it, uh, but we have to figure out a way to um, to teach and you know constantly use technology to 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 drive down the price a little bit. You know, John Louis sells, says that, but he sells his wine for two hundred fifty bucks a bottle. You know, um, and, so you're saying we should raise prices at sixteen six hundred? <laughs> no, we got to sell wine. Okay, no, it, it, it's you know there's there's certain places in the world that that, that you know why, but you drink you drink a bottle of Shav Hermitage White and it's like having the best stone fruit that you've ever tasted in your life, you know, with open ultra open, open ultra ultra ripe flavors, uh, and with with low alcohols, it's it's the location, you know. Um, it's the, the, the terroir, you know, in California, we could get those flavors, but they're going to have alcohol, right. you know, but it, it, it's, you know, it, it, it's how you, you guys have this, you do these podcasts once or twice a week. So there's a hundred conversations uh, a year on, 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 on just here on wine. And there could be, you could, you could times put a factor of 20 on that or, or, or 20 million on that. And that's that's the beauty of the mystery of wine, right. uh, and it's it's flavor. I remember drinking wines with my grandfather, and they, and, and they were full of VA, and, and they thought they were great. Right. Yeah. You know, the wines that we're drinking right now are, are better than they've ever been in the world. Right. But then you you open up a, a, a wine from the fifties or the forties or the thirties, and and all of a sudden you got magic. You know, it's an alchemical reaction that goes on. You know, the, a, a great winemaker is not a scientist; is an alchemist, right. and and and. That's the mystery of what we do, you know, and we try to figure it out. I've been, you know, I've spent, you know, my my, my lifetime trying to figure it out. And, and, and are you any closer? No, <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I'm 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 really proud of the wines that that made from the grapes that I grow, uh, and 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 they're, uh, uh, it's you know, we're in a global market. And uh, you know, with sixteen six hundred, doing doing a collaboration with some with Philippe Combi, uh, I'm proud to have have 
the recognition from my peers in, in, in various parts of the world because we're, 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 we share that same pursuit of a mystery. You, you know, we're looking for the Holy Grail. You know, we're, we're, looking, we're looking for the answers. We're, and and the, does it come in, 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 in uh, this alchemical, alchemistic bottle of wine that, that, we're, that we're drinking that, that has, uh, you know, how, how many other things that you make alcohol of it or other fruits other than a grape that has as many descriptors that are as a hundred and hundred different different flavors it's it's the only thing you know you don't you don't get that from you know from rye whiskey you don't get it from from, from vodka you get it from grapes and nobody uh, talks about how beautiful this particular orange juice is over this one and what the flavor notes are etc I mean they sell more of that fruit juice than anything else in America yeah. And it's not really good for you either. I mean, right. it's just packed with sugar. You know, it's all pure sugar. Well, the two thousand twelve Estate Zin's holding up very nicely. I'd say. Yeah, beautiful yeah, stuff. Some beautiful, beautiful plush tannins. Speaking of that, you know, yeah, lush tannins. Yeah. This, you know, uh, I look at this. This is a Zinfandel that's made in a Bordeaux style. Yeah, you know, it doesn't have the the, the the uber sweetness of of, of, of zen or, or the or the that that um, citric acidity of, of zinfandel right uh in 2012 was probably one of the easiest vintages i've ever done <laughs> 2012 was you know we had we had nine was a crazy year because uh, that was and the, the, the rainstorm that hit on on uh, uh, on columbus day and then Ooh. 10 and 11 were the Eleven hard, was kind of a crappy year. They're the hardest benches I've ever ever dealt with. The, the sun never came out, right. and then all of a sudden we had 2012, and everything just went boom, boom, boom. And I almost think when I drink 12s, that there's not enough tension in them because they never really had to suffer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I never had to sweat, and, and you know, it was just it was a perfect growing season. Yeah. You know, um, and and the wine the wines don't get me wrong are are, are really good. 2010 and 11, if you drink them uh, from California, to me are the, probably the most European style wines we've ever made, uh, because of of, of uh, uh, not having our, our heat spikes that that occur in October, um, right. that that total lack of humidity, which is which is uh, a real signature for wines in California. <clears throat> but uh, was 12 the beginning of the droughts? 2014 was the worst drought year. The worst. Yeah, yeah. Thir- thirteen of the, uh, the 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 season between thirteen and fourteen is when when we had a rain in two thousand thirteen on, on on November first. We had a big a big rain, and then there was absolutely no rain in two thousand fourteen. And if it wasn't for that that rainstorm that we had in November of thirteen, uh, there would have been no water. And uh, and then you go you taste again. Anybody out there listening, if you find wines that you love, that you, that you really, really like, that you feel real comfortable for when you taste them, they're a friend, collect them. Get, get, get multiple vintages of it and, and collect, you know, I could, if, take, tasting a bottle of wine from 2006, 2010, 98, uh, 05, I don't care what the vintage is, but if you could put up six vintages in a row of a wine that you like and taste them what you're t- and made by the same winemaker the grower could be it should be the same 
and what you're tasting is is how a vineyard reacts to to to, to what a vintage really is, and a vintage is defined by the weather pattern of that season. That's what defines a vintage, and, and to me, it's the, the most educational thing I ever do, and I, I love doing it. Uh, you know, we tasted that 2005 Cab Franc. I remember tasting doing doing a 10 year vertical of of Cab Francs made from from Glen Ellen, from Moon Mountain vineyards. Uh, you know, I still think about that tasting. It's 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 the best thing to do. So, Phil, do you have a favorite wine? The one I'm drinking right now. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's a great saying, and I I, no, it, I hold uh, up to that. Do I have a favorite wine? Um, I I have favorite wines that I've drunk that that I have, have consumed, and one of them was a, a, a 58 Louis Martini Barbera uh, that that I still taste. And, and, and it just blew my mind. It was the night we sat down. We had a, a Zinfandel, a Barbera, and a Cabernet from Monterosa. And that 58 Barbera from Monterosa, it, it, just, it just like hit me between the eyes. Okay. Uh, uh, a, 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 a 98 Boca Stell that, 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 that did the same thing. There's, there's the, the first time I tasted pure by, by, uh, by uh, Julian. Ju, Julian. By Julian. Uh, all of a sudden, it's just, you know. So that, 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 that I remember uh, uh, pre-rot um, Clomagador. I was, was with my wife. We're sitting at the counter at, at the Harvest Moon. I opened up this bottle of wine that was just pure nectar. And, you know, I can't, I can't remember the year that it was, though. <laughs> you know, it might have been during the, har the harvest, and so my memory was, was a, little bit, a, little bit, a little bit foggy. But I, I think, you know, I, uh, I grow a lot of Cabernet, and I drink a lot of, I taste a lot of Cabernet. Uh, I'm totally enamored with Rhone varietals. You know, t to me, they're they're uh, um, they're, they're you know large buried varieties in the warm climate like we have in California are really a lot of fun. Uh, but I think uh, I I, ha I have two sons and and soon I have another grandkid. Which one do you like best? It's the moment that you're, the moment that you're with them. The one and, that's costing you the least money at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, then I don't like any of them. <laughs> But no, that, that's that's the beauty of wine. You know, there there's uh, um, you know there's producers that that I I, I collect. Uh, I, I was just with Louis Barreau from San San Colm and uh, tasting tasting a bunch of his wines. Um, you know, the, the, that there's this there what How I were those wines those those wines. You know, and I like Louis. The wines have, grapes have to be ripe. Grapes have to be ripe. It's you know, and it, you know, and, and it's true. Grapes to me have have to be ripe. You know, the, the uh, and ripeness is not degree of bricks. It's the amount of time the, the fruit is on the plant to ripen. And, and and you, you that's can't, the t-shirt yeah. 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 ripeness is not bricks yeah. ripeness is not bricks um and so i i, I don't have a favorite wine so i, I but, have a, but wine's my favorite <laughs> um so we've figured probably 60 percent of your day farming is is cabernet um we talk about this a lot in the tasting room where in the tasting that, that you know cab is what you know, makes things work around here, but sixteen six hundred, we we do almost, you know, probably eighty percent of our. We have a cab. Right we there. do have a cab open, um, but we're going to talk about Grenache for a second. Um, when did? How did you 
what was the inspiration? When did you start to like realize what we're doing in Sonoma would be great for Grenache and we could we could make great Grenache here? And and how did like what was the was it a process? Was it that aha drinking the ninety eight Bocastel and it smacks you between your eyes? And and, and I want to add something to that is let's add Philippe Combi into this and like what have you in it, I don't know how long you've known him but in the time you've known him what have you learned from him that's added to this whole thing patience uh patience patience uh ripeness ripeness getting fruit ripe um but uh, you know Grenache was always in I, I grew up in field blends or mixed black vineyards you know where you had the you, you, perfect example is old hill which was 18 19 25 different varieties out there uh, with a little bit of uh, so Grenache is always there um, but it was you know 25 years ago I was working with with, with uh, Jacques Mathieu planting his, his 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 little Grenache vineyard uh, and in fact uh, my first the second trip to France was with was with was Jacques and we went to we went to uh, Chateau Neuf and I just looked at it and, and uh, I felt the same as when I was in in in, in Tuscany I felt like I was at home. Right. Um, and um, there's just something about the the large buried varieties that have incredible phenolics that taste that, that have great flavors, you know. And uh, I like the idea is my proletariat side because these were for a long time were peasant wines, you know. Right. I have a, a great a great friend uh, uh, in, in in Bordeaux, uh, Stephen de Renancourt. That is is the antithesis of Bordeaux, but I always look at you know Bordeaux and uh, you wear your tie, and, and I'm not I'm not really good at wearing a tie in, in, a, in a sport coat, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, but you, Grenache, I had to learn how to tie a tie on YouTube, right? Yeah, yeah I never ta- I yeah. never talked how to shave either. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, but but it, it's um, the, the the there's the the mystery of 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 of, of Grenache is another is it just adds to the mystery of grapes, you know. Um, and Syrah, Whew. you know, uh, cool climate Syrah uh, from Cote Roti and, 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 um, and the stuff that we grow here in California. Uh, again, Syrah and Sangiovese sort of came on, the, on to our, 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 um, uh, our, our screen about the same time, about 20 years ago, 25 right. years ago. And both of them sort of fell to the wayside. Totally. Because they could produce ten tons to the acre, and you produce ten tons to the acre, you got fucking yellowtail, you know. And and who who wants to drink astringency, you know? I, I want I want something that's savory, and raw, you know. At three, you cut the fruit off, and you get two, you get three tons to the acre, two and a half tons to the acre. Grenache, you get four, you could get three to four tons to the acre, depending on the, on the vintage, and you get flavor, you know. And uh, and the the you know sometimes I think. With climate change, maybe in, in my grandkids' lifetime, we're going to be way too hot to grow Cabernet here. You know, um, isn't the, that going to be strange? I don't know. I um, won't be around. Well, <laughs> probably know. won't be either. But since you don't have a favorite wine, do you have a favorite spot in uh, France that you like to go? And we all think France has the biggest wine crop, right? Leader in the world still. Yeah. Um, I, I like going to, to, to the Rhone Valley, you know, uh, uh, I, 
it, 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 uh, I, I don't go there without stopping in Bordeaux because I have a lot of respect and, and I have a lot of friends there also. But I, I feel at home in, in southern France. Maybe because there's a lot of Italians there. Everybody <laughs> looks like you. Well, right. I mean, yeah, I, I feel I feel at home with them in Luca too, because that's where my, you know. But um, I, I, you know, I, I, I like um, I like places where they where fruit gets ripe, and 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 has has aromas of, of ripeness out there. You know. Fair enough. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Well. Actually, so so we're now pouring uh, 2014 Cabernet from the Simons Vineyard, which is between the 16600 Estate and Caymans down in this little valley, super rocky. Um, you know, we, this is and, where we went also this last year. Yeah, exactly. Right. Walked and there. it's so good. It's it's really so good. good. Um, <laughs> and you know we don't uh, we've this is episode 80 something. Yeah. Um, you know I could probably count on. Maybe two hands how many times we've had and really talked about Cabernet in the podcast. I mean, it's not, um, but off the, you know, a comment off the side, maybe a joke, um, something like that. Something like that. We we haven't tasted a lot of Cabernets, you know, over on the microphone. Um, But really, without Cab, none of this, and I don't mean just. 16600 I don't mean just Enterprise Vineyards. I mean, none of Sonoma, Napa, it doesn't exist without Cabernet. Um, this is, you know, sort of the, this is the king of grapes, right? Um, let me just talk about sort of your life with Cabernet and, you know, maybe planting Caymans and, and watching sort of Cabernet evolve over the last 40 years and to or the last few weeks and, and to what it's become what it's become now. Well, you, you talk about Laurel Glen. There was a vineyard adjacent Laurel Glen. It was the Ballinger Vineyard uh, that was planted in, in the, uh, God, six, the 60, 62. I was 10 years old when it was planted. And and, uh, and that was when the, the first big wave of California Cabernets happened. And the 8, eight by 12, you know, I, I, I like to say I was growing trees, you know. And, 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 and before that, you know, in a, in a Zinfandel vineyard or, or a, a head train vineyard, there was there were planted eight by eight. So there's, uh, I think eight by eight is eight hundred vines to the acre. There's four hundred vines to the acre of Cabernet, and that, that's that's. But this was, the this is when California started producing putting out big Cabernets. You know, right. in the, in the, in the in the in the in the 60s. And kind of leading into the wines of the Judgment of yeah, Paris, the seven, early seventies. Early seventies, and you think about the the herbaceousness, the the green, the, green, the bell peppers, the, the and Steiner cabs. Steiner, hey, I, I put the first canes on on on, on those grapevines, and, and a cool spot, too cool of a spot to grow Cabernet. Right, but it's like Oakville Ranch. When I started working there, I had rows that were half Chardonnay and half Cabernet. So that means. As I was driving down this road, I went from I went from Burgundy into Bordeaux, and, and, and these guys were about as far apart as the difference. But you know, so we didn't know. We we, right. we didn't we we didn't know. And um, but again, drinking that old old Cabernet from Monterosa, those they're beautiful wines. You know, and that seems like a place that probably gets even in those years with that farming style wine would, would, got ripe. Would, would get ripe, yeah, yeah. And, and and didn't have green herbaceous flavors. Right. Cabernet is a tough grape to grow. I, you know what? There's no easy grape to grow and, and grow and grow properly. Right. And there's nothing like a, a, a great bottle of Cabernet. There, there, and the flavors that we're getting here, the the, the 
uh, you know, you could call it cassis. You could, you know, there's 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 a richness to it. It's really savory, um, and and it, it's you know they they stop you. You know you want you want you want lushness, but Cabernet berries are a third the size of 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 of, of, of Grenache berries, and Zinfandel berries and head pruned vines. Um, they have the, the when the heat happens, they shrivel, and you got to be careful. You know, and if and if you grow the vines too healthy, too excuse me, too much vig- with too much vigor, they get really herbaceous, and it's like you know, the bell peppers are good, but they taste better cooked. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, and and you're looking to make dolmas somewhere. Yeah. What are, what are you pouring of, of of Dane right there? So this is um this is from a grower who um grows traditionally and um probably could have done a lot more to help this wine. Um, it was, you know, harvested you've been, you've on been to this vineyard. Yeah. Phil, you've been to this vineyard. Yeah, it was I've harvested. Yeah. It was harvested on, you know, November 4th and it was at 26 and a half sugar. And, um, in, tw- and, and in 2015, yeah, in 2015. And it should have never taken that long. Um, and, and I, I'm proud of the wine that's made from it and stuff, but, um, I, I I've always kind of wondered, what it could how have much, been, how much better it could have been with yeah. some, and it, better, and it's done I mean, well, and people like it, and I think it's because it's a true, I think it's a good expression of Cabernet, and you know it's only got a small amount of new, it's twenty five percent new oak, and um, you know, but it's, um, yeah, yeah. I, was, I was curious how it compared. I mean, they're different vintages, but um, Phil, Moon Mountain District, right. for that no. for the record, although. Destin yeah. is probably a l- much lower much elevation lower, than yeah. Simon's. Although maybe Simon's kind of drops about in that. About the same. Desnudos has dirt. Right. right. Uh, and and Desnudos is the bottom of a canyon. Um, and it's it, 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 so the big, big, real big grapevines. Yeah. Real long rows. It was on, it's on cordons. Yeah. Uh, and the, it's, a very, it's, a real, it's a very nice bottle of wine. Uh, what, what the, there's another dimension that's not there. Correct. And, and um, but it, 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 it's, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. No, you know, you no. Know. It's just, it's just, it's this year's expression of it. And, yeah. Um, it was and one it's, and it's, out well, for and me. It's and it's probably that that dimension just isn't in the vineyard. It's just not there. Right. Well, in 2015, if you had half the crop, it would have been different. Right. Right. You know, uh, Ezra Pound, he's just talking about poetry. You know, condense, condense, condensare. Mm-hmm. Why say something in 15 words when you could say it in three or four yeah. and, and have more exactness? Yeah. And that's what happens when, when you reduce f- fruit, you condense the flavors. Right. You know, you, you, and, <laughs> and, and, and you, you, you get extraction. Right. And, and, and I think that's and what... you got extraction from here. Right. You, you know, there's not a green flavor in there. The people that harvested this, because 15 was an early year, that harvested it on the 20th of October was a different wine altogether. Right. right. And the, the grower is probably really pissed that you waited that. <laughs> <laughs> the, one, and, uh, one and done might not yeah. have been only your decision <laughs> right. on that one part. Exactly. You know, Phil, um, not to make you the organic oligarch, uh, however, are you happy with the growth rate of organic wine and what's going on? And a second part to that question, what is it about Sonoma right here, right now, that is the epicenter of how this is growing worldwide. Uh, you, you know, 
if, 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 if you think about the food revolution that occurred in the, in, in, in the, in the 60s that came out of the Bay Area, and a lot, a lot, of, the, a lot of the gardens, uh, a, lot, a lot of the heritage uh, um, uh, fruit orchards were in Sonoma County. And uh, am I happy with, with the, the growth of organic, organic bit of culture? I, I, would, I would love to see everybody grow organically. Uh, I, I think it raises, it raises the bar. And I, th and I think it's a matter of, you know, uh, we owe it to our neighbors to farm benevolently, you know. Um, and, and why why is this a good spot for it to happen? Uh, you know, Napa, Sonoma, and, and with, Mendoza, with Mendocino sort of um, following up behind us, uh, it's people are, are living in the middle of the vineyards and they they have great farmers markets, and they, they, they and they put pressure on grape growers to be more res, more responsible to the, of their actions. Uh, you know, it was in Sonoma County that uh, the, the, the the be kind to your neighbor program happened as for farmers, because as as we got higher populations, to 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 inform your inform your neighbor what you're doing. The beauty about Sonoma County, we have a right to farm act too, you know. So I can get out there in the middle of the night and 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 do, and do my, you know, I'm an organic farmer, but I spray. And when I sprayed Paraquat in in the, in the '60s, I didn't have any protective protective clothing. All my guys, they're in moon suits, but they're spraying or, or, or organic materials, <laughs> you know, because you know they're they're irritants, you know, and 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 uh, we do it at night because it's 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 calm. And, you know, do I like working at night? No, but I sure like working at 5 o'clock in the morning when it's going to be 100 degrees, you know. So, and, and Sonoma County supports farmers. And, and Number one word on our county crest is agriculture. As agriculture. And the number, and in your, in, in, in your deed, there's, your, there's a right to farm act in Sonoma County. And that's why I think you're seeing a lot of things coming out of this area. Uh, and, you know, the... And you know, will it keep going? Uh, hopefully, we'll see what happens. You know, um, but uh, but uh, you know, the, the, it, it, uh, I I want to see responsible regenerative farming. I, I I could go on to to my bully pulpit and start talking about what's the difference between sustainable. I don't care about sustainable. I want regenerative farming. I want stuff that regenerates the earth, not sustains it. I want it yeah. to be improved. That's the big difference. That's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. It really is. I mean, you've taken that step beyond. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I like that. Yeah. I mean, if there's one thing that comes out of this whole interview, it's right there. Regenerative farming. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, at this point. I wish I would have coined that phrase. Yeah. Copyright it. Yeah. Okay. Regenerative, Regenerative. farming. Uh, you know, with sustainable we've talked about the bullshit of sustainable on this podcast before and sustainable in sonoma county means that you can spray roundup and a list of other things uh, and you know an organic has is still powerful but isn't as powerful as it was before the usda stepped co in co-opted it and in, in right. you know was that maybe 15 years ago how's that sam well they it, it was during the bush administration but the uh, the the the, the, the uh, FDA came in and, and took over the organic. There was the National Organic Act. The National Organic Program. Program, yeah. Yeah. So NOP. now organic standards are handled not by like CCOF, even though they do the inspection. Organic standards are 
predicated by the government. Yeah, by the federal government. So yeah. they're so we're all going to be orange. Yes. Are they? <laughs> are they it's getting all that it right? For drinking and good genes. <laughs> are they getting it right? At no. all? No. How so? <laughs> Organic farming from it became, it became substitutional farming yeah, instead, exactly. of, in, 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 instead of the true. Just because you have a certified organic fertilizer doesn't mean you're an organic farmer. If, if, if you're farming half your property with, with, with organically, with OMRI approved fertilizers and the other half conventionally, you're not, you're not an organic farmer. You're farming by the NOP. And what, what, what again, that's where we're regenerative, where you're putting more into the soil than you're taking out. That you're 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 making it regenerate constantly, constantly, constantly grow, and and and, and so it's not the fertilizer; it's the attitude of how you're farming it, and uh, um, you know that, that that's and and do we need the FDA doing it? It's a good step in some ways because it it opened up for farmers in in other places than 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 the the the, the, the than you know the east of Eden where we live here in, in California, uh, so that you know you could have a, an organic dairy coming out of out of, out of Minnesota or, or places right. like that, it, because it, it does set standards. So there's or, or even an organic dairy coming out of Sonoma County, California, right? Yeah, well, yeah, and, and you have and and, and it, it does set standards. Right. So there's good in that point, but right. as as everything, when you get caught in a bureaucracy, that you get a little bit. You're separated from the people who are out doing the, doing the work in the dirt, you know, yeah. and, and you know, we're we're, we're from California. <laughs> we want to control ourselves. Well, see, and I like that. Um, I've spent my whole life in the Midwest. <laughs> Therefore, I mean, my comments about the Iowa farmers are true. I mean, they're they're, they're farming dead soil there with with roundup seeds you know seeds from monsanto that only grow in that stuff but but in iowa you have some of the best prosciutto coming out of in, in anywhere because there there is there is in every state of the union there there's these 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 cells right, <laughs> of, right. Of, 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 somebody of, does something of, good of, everywhere of, of revolution on, on the revolution in the in the in, the, in, the, in the, for our our bodies and our souls and that's what we have to live with you know and and that's where, you know, the National Organic Act has its has its good side to it. But I just you know I hate to have the government tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally understand that. Yeah. So what's next? I don't know. Go home and have dinner. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You can do that. You can say that. Get ready well, for another day. Yeah. I'll I'll, I'll no, let that no, go. What's what's next is is uh, another vintage. You know, I mean and. Um, and that uh, it's uh, seen, <coughs> you know, uh, the next generation take, taking on the mantle and carrying it another step farther forward. Uh, you know, I tip my hat to, to, to Carlo, and, 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 you know, we met with him a couple of weeks ago talking uh, about the Monarch Challenge. And it's great, you know. We 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 need. And we're gonna have, get him on here soon, John. Yeah. We, we, yeah. Probably when I'm back from from pregnancy, from exactly. talking about the next generation, the next talking generation. about the next, next generation. Yeah. And yeah. and it's just that's the beauty of you know. When I talk to to my friends in Europe, and the property and the wines 
I've been in the family for multiple generations. That's what I want to see happen here, you know, and, and knowing, you know, uh, that what, what we've started goes back to my grandfather when he immigrated from, from Italy and, 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 and my, uh, my, my, my grandmother and her family came from Switzerland and they're growing grapes in Lodi. I want to see, you know, multiple generations doing it because the more you do it, the more you understand it. And, and it's, it's done with, with tradition that, that, that uh, breeds respect for the land. And that's, that's, our, uh, that's, that's the antithesis of corporate farming. Yeah, it is, and it's, it's admirable. Yeah. I mean, well, it's really a life's work, yeah. and that's what you've made it. It's yeah. phenomenal. You have a great reputation, Phil. I really appreciate you coming on. So, What else do all of our listeners want to know? One final thing with Phil Katuri. Well, we do have... Uh, 2011 homage à Galay from that first Grenache vineyard that you planted in Sonoma available at 16600. <laughs> I'm gonna throw that out there real quick. Um, yeah, if if you want to That's a really see nice bottle of wine. occasional pictures of grandchildren, sunrises, and pot plants, you can always follow Phil on Instagram, Picaturi <laughs> at Picaturi. When I remember to do it, when he remembers how to use Instagram. But when uh, he does, he hits them. He's, when he hits, he hits yeah, them, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's uh, nice to be legal again, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. There was a big article in the New York Times last year about you, yeah. and it was an excellent article. and And it really takes that um, that whole personal concept of growing and responsibility and what you want. You want to leave for your kids and takes it to um, growing pot. Um, something that I've, you know, I'm 68 now. And uh, I think I was probably 15 when we drove down to University of Iowa to get a lid of pot. And at that point, it was Mexican. Now it's really good stuff. And now a it's... lid. Cal- well, you know, the, hey, it comes... Yeah. dime bag. It goes back. Yeah. I mean, it seriously does. But I'm very appreciative of it now. And Don't panic. It's organic. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's one of the things. Well, you, you know, when, who, who would have thunk in, in our life, you know, that marijuana would be legal? And it's the best thing that, 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 that uh, why not? You know, how could a plant be illegal, you know? Right. <laughs> and, and, uh, and seeing the evolution of, of marijuana from from uh, when it was grown in Mexico, I remember seeing some beautiful Oaxacan spears, these lime green spears. They're, they're, they're just gorgeous. But the, the 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 pot that we grow now is definitely a lot stronger. Um, but there's, and I, you know, I could go into my bully pulpit again on, on I won't smoke indoor growing marijuana because I think an herb should be grown in the sunlight. But you know, I'm I'm from California. I'm I'm spoiled. Um, but I think with with the the marijuana business or the cannabis business to make it sound uh, less Hispanic, I guess. Uh, uh, Well, that's what the word marijuana is a a contrivation of the, was that a word Um, of like the fed United States federal government back post prohibition to make cannabis sound more terrifying and more and scarier by, by making it sound evil weed. Yeah. Yeah, Marijuana is not, it's like that's not a word. It's but, cannabis. It's not a word that has any like historical. Go, it goes back to like the twenties and thirties, the thirties. Yeah, and, and you know the marijuana business needs a, a stratification to start to occur, where where that that, that uh, you you have 
I have a hundred point hundred point pot that is grown outdoors in the sunlight, the full term of a plant that's been planted from seed, and and, and it's going to be different than a plant that's grown in, in un, un, under artificial light, and and uh, you know I've talked to kids that 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 uh, have no idea that you grow pot out outdoors, and you can't in Iowa. That's just incredible. Yeah, it is. Oh, you can. I mean, in Iowa, during the war, they used to throw seeds off the trains and grow it for rope. Yeah, well, that was, that was yeah. called hemp. Yeah. <laughs> hemp, if you had yeah, a hemp That's when shoot. John started smoking pot, it was hemp still. <laughs> <laughs> it was before they'd coined marijuana. Yeah. Hey, it was 1967. I was 16 years old. You know, it's the summer of love. What else do you do? You, you guys were if in, you're in. If you're in, well, if you're Iowa? in Iowa, what hell else yeah. do you do? Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, if you're in San Francisco, the summer of love is probably different than if you're in Iowa City. I'm sure. Well, we we it was Jefferson Airplane, Big Brother, uh, et cetera. San Francisco was a mecca for everything that yeah, all the kids I knew wanted. Yeah, I was lucky to grow up there. Very. Text text Andy and tell him that he needs to be on the podcast next. I'll talk to him right now. Okay. Talk to him. All right. Phil, thank you very, thank, very much well, for being such a much. great guest. I, 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 much appreciated. We didn't ramble too much. No, not no at way, all. Just man. enough. See you guys soon. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you. Sam, thank you so much. Much appreciated. Anything else for our It's been fun today? podcasting from the tasting house again. Like uh, we like started it. way back when, when, you know, my knee was in traction hanging up on the. That's you know, right. We, you you had just uh, blown out your ACL. Right. So. It's been it's been good to be back here. It's been a good day. We've had some, you know, between last episode with Ian and this with Phil. I feel like there's conversations that um, we've really just scratched the surface on, and we could have, you know, it could be really TED talks, like Paul was saying. It, you know, we're we're the, um, you know, you don't have to know all of the things that were said in the last couple of episodes to enjoy wine, but knowing them and understanding them. It's going to make that enjoyment just that much deeper. So it's been fun. Yeah, Bart? It's, it's been it's been a couple of great episodes. Uh, next time we talk to Sam, um, we'll be uh, hoping yeah. that he's getting some good sleep and <laughs> can't wait to hear if this boy or girl's name and whatnot. So well, that makes two of us. Yeah. So <laughs> Sam will be thinking about you. Thanks, and, man. Um, and thank you all of you. And who Alice, are we got to be thinking about Alice. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what, Alice. Sam? It's easier for you, Alice. Right. If she actually would listen yeah. to our damn podcast every once in a while, she'd hear that, but she won't hear it. <laughs> well, hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed uh, today with Phil Katori, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks a lot.